Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus the Christ has a goal, to serve God. On that goal, he remained focused. He had a purpose, to teach love. On that purpose, he remained focused. He had a mission, to demonstrate to people to lovingly serve each other while serving God. To that mission alone, he gave all of his energy. In his own words, he revealed the power of having a purpose when he said, but for this purpose was I born. In essence, Jesus was saying to us, when your life is for a purpose, you will rise above all difficulties. Focus on the goal. Focus on the purpose. Focus on accomplishing the goal. Each day, hundreds of thousands of people get out of bed with no goal. Going to work is not a goal. It is an activity. Paying bills is not a purpose. It is an activity. Providing for family is not a mission. It is an activity. Your goal is the what of your life. The goal is not the place you begin. It is the place you end up. Your purpose is the why of your life. Why you, as an individual, are moving toward the goal, the end. Your mission is the how of your life. Once you are clear about the what, the why, and the how, you have a focus. You have something to live for that moves you into, through, and out of the activities of your life. We were each born for some purpose. Jesus was clear. He was focused. He mastered his mind and his life with focus. He was kind enough to leave us instructions on how to do what he did. He said, follow me. For the things I have done, greater things than this shall you do. It's here, in the Archbishop's Corner, that Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair makes us aware that the Master Teacher left us instructions. He said, Do as I have done. In the Archbishop's Corner, we stay focused. You turn your attention from the activities of daily life and you discover your goal, your purpose, and your mission. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us discover the why of life, our purpose, and our mission. How are you today? Fine. That's a tall order, the why of life and our mission. It dovetails into what we're going to be talking about in our gospel today and, and also about who we are as evangelizers within our communities, bringing the gospel, the good news to the people of God, that kind of thing. Sounds good to me. Today is starts Build a Better Image Week, and it's a time for everyone to evaluate their professional image and take the steps necessary to improve it. Now, over the years, the Catholic Church has received negative attention from the media and is continuously working to promote the true works of the Church to the world. Should the Church be concerned about its image? And if so, what should we do about it? Well, let me tell you a little story. Okay. Once when Pope St. John Paul was Pope, this story comes from one of the Swiss Guard who was there and who, you know, would see the Pope all the time. He said that uh, once the Pope was receiving people and there was a young German guy there. And when the Pope greeted him, this young German actually was arrogant enough to say to the Pope, you know, you don't have a very good image in Germany. Mm. And the Pope just kind of graciously, you know, I don't know that he replied, but, you know, Pope John Paul could be pretty feisty. And so he went on shaking people's hands and then he, after a couple, he came back, the Swiss guard said, and he said to this young German man, 
you know, Jesus Christ didn't have a very good image either. And then he walked around and greeted the other people. And my point uh, of this uh, story, uh, which was witnessed by this German uh, Swiss guard, uh, is that uh, the church will never be accepted in the world with regard to its most profound and authentic identity and mission. Jesus told the apostles, "You are the world hated me, the world will hate you as well. So we, we, of course, we always have to define what we mean by world. The world that God created is not evil. It's called to a, a happy destiny to be transformed. But the world, uh, another definition of the world in the scriptures is that which conspires against and, and hates what is of God and what, what is of Christ. So when you talk about image, uh, God knows that in our sinfulness, we have many things that human sin has tar- in the church has tarnished uh, if you want to call it the Im- our image. Uh, and it encounters two kind of people, those that understand that uh, the church is not defined by the sins of some of its members, and then you have those who are happy uh, and gloat over the fact that these sins and failures are there because they can discredit the message or discredit the messenger. So image is something, uh, you know, it's not Madison Avenue, that's the old, I guess, an old-fashioned way of putting it, image. Uh, but we always have to be uh, seeking uh, to uh, purify ourselves, uh, to uh, present to the world the authentic uh, face and, and action of Christ uh, for the sake of the salvation of the world. And we have to be repentant uh, for those things that are sinful where we have failed. It's a good way to put it. More than ever before, the landscape of the typical employee constantly is changing, and that's why this Tuesday is Remote Employee Appreciation Day. It's a day set aside for the employees who work from home, especially those who are working at home because of this pandemic. Do you have any encouraging words for those who are struggling with this new way to work? And what about the Chancery staff? Are they still working from home? Well, some are and some are not. Well, I think this question really is not, it's about everything, isn't it? Especially about our divine worship. And we need to say a lot more about that. I, You know, what is the old saying? No uh, man is an island. It's, it's not very healthy from a human point of view to just uh, interact with other people remotely. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't care what they say about uh, a new way of doing business where people are all remote uh, but I don't think when it comes to the important interactions of life or the personal, uh, how should we say, well-being of people, that it's sufficient just to work uh, remotely. There are certain things that can be done remotely, but not everything all the time. And uh, that's for others to figure out how to do in secular life and in business. But as far as the faith goes, it's absolutely deadly and a contradiction for us to only be connected remotely. And so we look for the day sooner rather than later when we can be back together in church, back together in everything we do as a church, because that's very important. Not excluding the remote part, the Zoom call or the remote meeting, but that's not, that can't be the only thing. I've heard from some people that tell me that they used to work in an office with a group of other people, and now they're being told that they won't go back to working in the office until sometime after the new year. Well, let's just be grateful that they're that they're even being told after the new year, because you hear some people talking about just working remotely all the time. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I can't judge every situation and, and everything, but I, just as a general observation, I would say that as human beings, we can't just be connected to one another by a microphone or a screen. We, we do need to have interaction as, as human beings as part of life. And uh, so we have to look for the day when that can be restored. I think that that's one of the lessons that we're learning from this quarantine, that we need each other. We, we are social beings. We're created as such by our God, and we do need each other. And maybe we've come to a better appreciation of that fact and a better appreciation of the fact that we depend upon each other for so many things. Huh? Yes, and, and uh, you know, the Holy See, the Congregation for Divine Worship, with the uh, knowledge and approval of Pope Francis, issued a beautiful letter recently. Uh, I don't know if we spoke about this the last program no, or I not. I don't believe we did. It was sent to all the bishops of the world, and I will be uh, posting it and saying something about it myself, about the fact that sacraments are personal encounters, not only with Christ, but among ourselves, with one another. And that while we have, for the people's safety and health, we have observed uh, the uh, limitation on public worship, this is not something that we accept as normal, and it's not something that we want to last one day longer than it need to be. And I can tell you here in Connecticut, we are certainly uh, pressing the civil authorities uh, to uh, allow some greater latitude, as has already granted in some other areas in public life, because I, I want our people to know, and everybody know, this is, this is being done for safety of people's health. But to the extent that, that we are not uh, endangering people, that we are following the norms, that we're not a cause of the spread of COVID, we really want to open that up uh, in, a, in a measured but also uh, uh, and reasonable way. Uh, so we're, we're going to be pressing for that and we will continue to do that. And I have to under I understand that if, for example, as some experts are saying, we're going to be experiencing another wave, a serious wave, well, if that time comes and that happens, then we have to be prepared to pull back. But uh, otherwise, I, 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 it's not good for us to be restrained as we have been about our ability for people to go to Mass or to church. Agreed. Archbishop Wednesday of this week, the church celebrates an Italian Franciscan priest by the name of St. Pio of Pietrelcina, better known as Padre Pio. He is known for his suffering, for his humility and miracles, for being the first priest to ever receive the stigmata. Do you want to say something about Padre Pio? Yes, well, in the reconfiguration of our parishes in the Archdiocese, you know, we have a parish named uh, for Padre Pio, St. Pio Petrolcina. And uh, he's one of those remarkable Capuchins, Franciscan family in the church that's produced some astounding uh, people in the 20th century. Uh, Brother Andre in Canada, mm -hmm. Father Solanus Casey in Detroit, and Padre Pio uh, in, uh, in Italy. And um, they were remarkable people with remarkable spiritual gifts. And uh, Padre Pio uh, certainly has a great uh, following of devotees, uh, uh, the Padre Pio prayer groups, and he is uh, highly venerated not only in Italy but throughout the world. So we ask his intercession to help us during these difficult times of COVID. And September 26th on Saturday, that's the day when we celebrate the 123rd birth anniversary of Giovanni Battista Montini, better known, of course, as Pope St. Paul VI. He was the 262nd Pope, beatified by Pope Francis, canonized by Pope Francis in October of 2018. Talk a little bit about Pope Paul VI's role in the Second Vatican Council, Archbishop. 
Well, when Pope uh, St. John the uh, 23rd uh, died, he had started the council. They had had, I think, their first session, and then he died. And uh, really, it was up in the air where this was all going to go, uh, whether, you know, what, what direction now and, and how, how is it going to unfold. Uh, Pope Paul VI was a very brilliant man, uh, a fine uh, leader, a great intellect, and uh, he was able to uh, pull all of these strands together and make the council work. He's really the one who presided over the, the actual uh, results of, Vatican, of the Second Vatican Council. And of course, he was Pope in the tumultuous 1960s of great social upheaval that's still with us today. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, he presided over the reforms of much of the uh, liturgy and so much of the functioning of the church. Uh, but he also was uh, very firm in upholding uh, the uh, doctrines of the church, the moral teaching and humane vitae about uh, contraception, for which he paid a dear price where he was he suffered terribly, was heavily criticized. Um, he, he was a great prophet in what he said about this because mm -hmm. everything he predicted came true, all the unhappy uh, things that have happened as a result. But again, not to dwell on that, but simply to say that he, uh, you know, he, we were very blessed to have him uh, as a pope in those times. And we have been blessed with many great popes in the 20th century. It hasn't always been so, you know. You look at church history and there have been very dark periods where uh, the papacy fell into all kinds of uh, scandal and um, all kinds of uh, difficulties. So we ask God to bless the Holy Father and to always uh, help the successor of Peter to uh, fulfill the mission entrusted to him. And one of the greatest things that, that Pope Paul VI did was ordain me a priest. Yes, well, I think that's carved on his tombstone, you know, <laughs> that he ordained you a priest. I'm sure that that's, you have to be look with the magnifying glass on the marble, but I'm sure it's there. Moving right along, Archbishop, let's take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from... His letter to all consecrated people on November 21st, 2014, and is called, A Gloomy Disciple is a Disciple of Gloom. The Pope says, Let's not be gloomy, disgruntled, or dissatisfied, for a gloomy disciple is a disciple of gloom. Like all men and women, we have our troubles, our dark nights of the soul, our disappointments and illnesses. We, too, decline with old age. But in all these things, we should be able to discover perfect joy. We should be able to recognize the face of Christ, who was made in every respect like us, and rejoice in the knowledge that we are similar to him who suffered on the cross out of love for us. In a society that worships efficiency, fitness, and success, that ignores the poor and dismisses losers, we can bear witness to the truth of the words of Scripture, when I am weak, then I am strong. Your thoughts, Archbishop. Well, yes, uh, in his homey way, you know, the Pope is exhorting uh, those who are uh, in consecrated life, you know, uh, brothers and, and uh, nuns, uh, sisters, uh, those who take religious vows in the religious orders and communities. Uh, you know, a gloomy disciple is a disciple of gloom, that we, we have to be filled with, uh, with joy, and we can't uh, let the troubles and challenges and sorrows of life or of today uh, for the church uh, get the better of us. Um, so we need to be uh, remember the words of Scripture, as the Pope says, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's from St. Paul. And God knows that today, in many respects, a church and the faith and many religious communities are weak 
by worldly standards. Uh, but uh, we have to realize that the grace and strength of God is there to use us in whatever way he wishes to use us for the salvation of the world. And maybe it's uh, in our, our weakness uh, that, that, uh, that God can do something uh, good and salvific. And this is an appropriate message, I think, not only for those in, in religious consecrated life, but for all of us, and even those especially who are, are, are feeling the weight of the situation of the global pandemic in which we're in. That we feel so gloomy, so disgruntled at times, being cut off from family and friends, not being able to do what we'd like to do and see the people that we'd like to see and be with. Yes, uh, we don't want to be disciples of gloom. And, you know, it's not just about the pandemic, but I think all of us are, can be deeply concerned uh, about this political acrimony that's going mm -hmm. on, this yes. divisiveness in our country with the upcoming election. And uh, we have to work and pray uh, for uh, things to go smoothly and, and well, lest our country be plunged into even more acrimony and uh, about these things. It's, it's very uh, sad and it's, it's amazing to me when I think back on my own life about the life in the United States that we should come to such a point. But it's not just about uh, political parties, it's about everything that people are seem to be so increasingly divided. So it's social, moral, legal, poli and political. And uh, I think we really need to get down on our knees and ask God's blessing on our country and help all of us to be, as St. Francis of Assisi says, instruments of his peace and not contributing to this kind of uh, acrimony. Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this 20th day of September when the Church celebrates the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our Gospel reading for today is taken from the 20th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. After this dramatic presentation, then we'll ask for your thoughts, Archbishop. For the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. To them he said, You, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Archbishop, this is a parable that most of us, if we were the first ones hired that day, 
spent all day working in the hot sun as opposed to those hired just before quitting time, we too would probably say it isn't fair. What's the point here? Well, there are a lot of, uh, I, I guess you could say, points to be drawn from this gospel. But, you know, we have to remember that Jesus is speaking to his Jewish listeners. Uh, and, you know, it could be said that the Jewish people who had been called and chosen for centuries and centuries uh, uh, in preparation for the coming of Christ, now Jesus is about to open, to swing open the doors of salvation and God's mercy to the Gentiles, uh, of which you and I are members. Um, we are the ones who come at the 11th hour and, you know, to whom God is being generous. I think that's, this is not a, a gospel about social justice. This is a gospel about uh, God's embrace of love uh, toward all peoples who are called in Christ to repentance and faith, to believe and to the gift of salvation. And uh, I think that's really the, the, the whole point of the, of the parable. What about the person who says, for instance, I've lived my whole life going to church, following the commandments, putting God first and others before myself, and then you tell me that what's his name down the street, who was married four times, mistreated every wife, abandoned his kids, never went to church, cared only about himself. Now, now he's found God and has been forgiven. It's just not fair. What do you say to that person? Well, it's like the prodigal son and so many other parables. Uh, that's judging by such a human standard that is so of this world that I don't think appreciates, uh, as St. Paul says, what eye has not seen or ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. If you go to heaven and are absolutely, as Pope uh, Benedict XVI said, has plunged into absolute joy for all eternity, what do you care whether the neighbor down the street only got in at the last minute after you worked your whole life? It, 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 it so pales in eternity that those things don't count for anything anymore. I mean, in as much as they're all caught up in the mercy and justice of God. You know, like I think it was what our Lord often said, you are thinking not as God thinks or sees, but as, as men think and see. It, it's to drag down uh, things that are so sublime beyond our imagining to a kind of earthly reckoning that is so small and pathetic compared to eternity. That's the best way I can answer that. Upon hearing the grumbling of those who were paid same daily wage as those hired late in the day, the landowner says, what if I wish to give this last one the same as you? Or am I not free to do as I wish with my own money? I think that's a good question. And I wonder how you would answer that question. Are we not free to do as we choose with our own money? Well, of course we are, but uh, always under the rubric of, of charity. So maybe, maybe that rubric of charity comes with a special obligation that we make sure that charity is part of what we do with our own money, and so that there are some responsibilities that go with having our own money. Oh, clearly. Uh, yes, we are stewards of what's been entrusted to us. What we have comes from God is a blessing of God and his providence, so we have to be good stewards of it. Let's move on to a few questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Betty from Cheshire says, How do we know that St. Anne was the Virgin Mary's mother since she's not mentioned in the Bible? Well, we don't, actually. It's the, There's a tradition that her name, we know she had a mother, of course, uh, but there's a tradition that goes way back that her name was Anne uh, and uh, her father was uh, Joachim. 
but uh, that's just part of the tradition. It's not part of uh, revealed in, in Scripture, those names. I suppose you don't have to believe that those are their names, but that's what the church has revered them uh, under those names. Tony from Litchfield says, I recently read about bishops weighing in on political matters. I confess I did not agree with them on everything. Does disagreeing with religious leaders make me a bad Catholic? Well, no, uh, Tony, but um, first of all, when you say weighing in on political matters, uh, you know, the church always uh, admonishes people as it's a moral duty to participate in the political process and to make uh, wise and informed decisions based on their their faith. But uh, to, as I mentioned earlier, we're living at a time of great dissension and acrimony. And uh, I know that in the media, there have been reports of bishops who've made comments about particular political parties or candidates. And uh, But you'll see that the bishops of the United States uh, in their document, Faithful Citizenship, have uh, taken a nonpartisan overview of those issues of social justice, of morality, uh, of the common good that are part of Catholic social teaching and have tried to lay out the Catholic principles for dealing with these things and have encouraged every Catholic to form his or her conscience according to their faith. I said this during the last election in a letter I wrote to all the Catholic people. I may very well uh, do the same before this next election. We'll see. But basically what I, I, I put forth in that letter, what I just said, uh, we're not endorsing or banning one or other political party, but we're simply asking people to vote, first of all, to vote, to exercise your civic uh, duty, uh, and to form your conscience first according to what the church believes and teaches. Samantha from Enfield says, A friend of mine attended a Catholic funeral a few weeks ago. She is not Catholic, nor has she ever been to church before. Since I'm a practicing Catholic, she asked me what the presentation of the gifts is all about. I really don't know how to answer her. How would you describe the presentation of the gifts to a non-Catholic? Well, Samantha, the presentation of the gifts is not the principal part of the Mass. It's simply the bread and wine to be consecrated are presented to the priest by members of the congregation, as if to say uh, that these elements uh, are the fruit of our labors, the fruit of our contributions to the church, uh, to be able to have this church and to celebrate Mass. And so we present simple bread and wine that uh, will then be transformed, transubstantiated into the true body and blood of Christ. It's not a major element in the Mass, but it's, it's one that's been part of the Mass uh, from uh, ancient times on. Okay. And you know, I will add that uh, in some places this is still part of that, is that offertory of the bread, presentation of the bread and wine also was connected very early on with presentation of foodstuffs for the poor. Right, yeah. And in some parishes, that's still true. I remember when I was a pastor, and when we had a, fa a mass where a lot of families were present, the little kids at the offertory, there were baskets, they brought up uh, a can of food or something to give to the hungry. Uh, and and that, was, that was a nice way to teach the children, you know, about the importance of this. And then, then after that, the, the actual bread and wine were brought up for the consecration. So that's part of this uh, ceremony as well. Mike from East Hartford says, I know that God is greater than the power of evil and that his goodness will prevail, but after seeing all the wickedness and violence being committed against innocent people in this world, I need some encouragement. Can you tell us, Archbishop, something full of hope to put us back in a good frame of mind? Yes, I can. Um, and, you know, on September 14th, we celebrated the beautiful feast of the exaltation of the cross. 
And uh, so my answer to you, Mike, is that whatever happens, we look up at the cross. Uh, we look up at Christ in his sufferings and in all the wickedness and violence that was heaped upon him uh, by a sinful world, he who was totally innocent and good. Um, and we know what we take encouragement from is that God raised him up as the conqueror of sin and death and the Lord of life. And where he is gone, we know that we will follow. God has already triumphed over evil and violence and suffering and sin. And we, like Christ, we have to follow him through this veil of tears. We have to follow up the hill of Calvary. And, uh, you know, what does St. Paul says with Christ? I am crucified. I hang with him on the cross. But we know that's not the end of the story by any means. It is the bridge to uh, vindication, to justice, to goodness, and to eternal life. Archbishop, uh, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, in this time that presents us with many challenges, we ask you to keep up our good spirits, not on the basis of some vain or worldly hope, but on the basis of our faith, that you are with us in all things, whether it's the COVID pandemic or whether it's the many stresses and acrimonious divisions that we see in our country and in the world, that you are with us. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to contribute to what is good and positive in the world. Help us to be instruments of your peace and bring us all together once again happily as a family of faith and as one human family in obedience to your divine will and love. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's always great to be with you on a Sunday morning. We remind our friends that this program airs at 7 o'clock on Sunday with a repeat at 11.30 on Sunday morning. So thank you, Archbishop. Look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you.